official podcast of Church at the Well in Burlington, Vermont. For more information about Church at the Well, including gathering time and location, events, and how you can financially support the podcast, please visit us online at wellchurchvt.com. A trivia question for you guys. How many trees, how many different species of trees do you think there are in this world? Anyone want to hazard a guess? Any guesses? 200 species. Any other guesses? Going, going. 200. 2,000. And what did you say? 2,000. Okay. So I did a little experiment this week. I wanted to see how many trees I could name. I came up with 26, just like, you know, listing them down. You know, I, I, I think I would have only come up with about 15, but then I brilliantly realized that there's all these foods that I eat from trees, like cherries and nectarines. So I figured, well, those count for trees. Um, but I had a feeling that that list that I had come up with of 26 was probably a pretty small percentage of how many different kinds of trees there are in the world. So I decided to look that up. Well, as of April 2017, scientists have identified over 60,000 different species of trees on our planet. Many of them are in, in, in places in the world um, that are pretty far away, so we may never have seen or even heard of some of these trees. For instance, has anyone here ever seen a dragon's blood tree? Nope. <laughs> Probably because you haven't grown up in Yemen. And then there's, um, in Indonesia and in the Philippines, the rainbow gum eucalyptus. And it starts out with green bark, but as it matures, the bark actually turns these bright colors, kind of like this box of crayons just melted uh, down the side of it. In, um, in Madagascar, you might um, come across some baobab trees, um, which kind of look to me like pillars of like ancient temple ruins. Um, then there's the banyan tree, which is the national tree of India. And you can see that it grows prop roots, so it doesn't just grow up, it actually grows laterally. It's actually, laterally speaking, the largest tree in the world. One of my favorite names for a tree is this next tree. It's the monkey puzzle tree. This is also known as the Chilean pine. It's the national tree of Chile. And if you hang out in tropical places like Puerto Rico, you might be lucky enough to see a flame tree in bloom. Isn't that beautiful? Um, finally, uh, last tree here. Anyone know what kind of tree this is? It grows in California and nowhere else. It's a Joshua tree. Excellent. Um, yeah, it, grew, it has a national park named after it, the Joshua Tree National Park in California. So as um, Adam mentioned this morning, we're starting a new series called World of Wonder because one of our core values here at Church of the Well is creativity, and we serve an infinitely creative God. His creativity is on display all around us in creation, and we value his creativity, and we value his creation. So uh, we're entering the sermon series, and for the next five weeks, for each Sunday in July, we'll be taking a different element of the natural world and looking at what Scripture teaches us through it about God or ourselves or about the life of faith. You know, when, God, when Scripture talks about God, it uses many different images, many from the natural world, but not just one, because there's no one word or image that really captures who God is. For instance, Scripture says God is a lion, it also says the Holy Spirit is like the wind. Christ is a lamb. Here's some other metaphors in the Bible. The descendants of Abraham are like the stars. The path of the righteous is like the first gleam of dawn. 
The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. And as followers of Christ, we are like sheep. I could go on. But there's one element of the natural world that shows up more frequently in Scripture than um, any other natural element, and that's trees. So today we're going to take a look at how we grow in our faith, how we grow spiritually. And to do that, we're going to take a close look at trees because the Bible says that a person of mature faith is like a flourishing tree. So how do we grow spiritually? How do we become fruitful? How do we get the truth uh, deep into our bones so that it's not just something that we subscribe to intellectually, but it's something that's really a part of who we are? Uh, The Christian philosopher Dallas Willard says this about spiritual formation. Spiritual formation is transformation of the heart in such a way that its natural expression comes to be the deeds of Christ done in the power of Christ. That's a really dense statement, so I'm going to read it again. He's talking about how we grow spiritually. Spiritual, Spiritual formation is transformation of the heart in such a way that the heart's natural expression comes to be the deeds of Christ done in the power of Christ. You see, God is at work shaping us into the image of his son. And we know that we've become a little bit more like Jesus when we're doing the things that Jesus did. But we really know it when we realize that we're not doing them out of compulsion. We're not doing them to earn brownie points with God as if we could earn brownie points with God. We're doing it because our nature has changed. So how do we acquire that new nature? That's the million-dollar question, isn't it? And the truth is, it's kind of a mystery. There's no clean and perfect answer. But I think we can find some clues in Psalm 1. So we're going to take a look at Psalm 1 this morning, just the first three verses, and see what it has to teach us about how we grow spiritually. Psalm 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. So this psalm makes two observations, one set of observations about what a righteous person doesn't do, and one about what a righteous person does do. Now, what a righteous person doesn't do is assume all of these postures um, that uh, are attributed to um, the unrighteous person. Do you notice that um, they're walking, then they're standing, then they're sitting, they're rather instable, they're rather restless? Um, But the righteous person is like a tree, grounded, stable, rooted, and content. There's a stillness about their spirit. Well, what does the righteous person do in the psalm that sets them apart? Well, they love the law, and they spend considerable time with it. Now, the law here does not simply mean a set of laws or a set of prohibitions, um, which is often the way we use the word law. It's referring to the Bible as it um, existed at that time, the Torah. And it is including the Ten Commandments and the legal code of of Scripture, but it's sort of more broadly God's guidance, his teaching and wisdom. It's his gracious revelation to us through his word about who he is 
and about how we can live in such a way that's life-giving for us and pleasing to him. So what does the psalmist do? He meditates on the law. He spends time pondering it, going over it, taking it in. Um, The word meditation in Hebrew, it actually literally means a low murmuring sound. Can you hear him kind of just mumbling the words of scripture under his breath? He's feasting on them. He's savoring them. And why is he doing it? Because it brings him delight. There's a sense of wholeness and joy and shalom when he soaks in the word and lets it seep into his soul. Later in Psalms, in Psalm 19, David says, the law of the Lord is sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. This person in Psalm 1 has discovered the sweetness of the law. Have we discovered its sweetness? So let's jump to the heart of this psalm, the image of a tree, because that's what a righteous person is like according to this psalm. So what is a tree known for? What are the characteristics of a tree? Well, trees are known for longevity. They tend to live much longer than we do. Um, I have a picture here of of a famous sequoia, um, again in California. This is in California's Sequoia National Park. This tree has a name. Its name is General Sherman. It has lived roughly 2,500 years. So when Christ was born, it was already about 500 years old. Trees are known for their longevity. Another thing that trees are known for um, is that because they're deeply rooted in the ground and they're pretty flexible, some more than others, they can withstand wind and rain and storms, even hurricanes. We were just singing about that. Um, Trees also are able to adapt to very different seasons, as we know very well here in Vermont, don't we? And on top of that, trees bear fruit, almonds, avocados, apples. How many of you had coffee this morning? You can thank a tree. Trees are also habitat for animals. Um, In wintertime, about a thousand, um, thousands really of insects, Uh, and small animals hibernate um, in a tree or live in the tree throughout the winter. So a tree provides shelter and habitat. So scripture says that there's something about spending time in God's word and delighting in his word that results in longevity of faith, sustainability of faith, groundedness, fruitfulness, and the ability to care for others, to nurture and shelter them out of a sense of our own well-being. But how does one get there? How do we get there? This morning, I'd like for us to consider three ways in which trees grow to see what those three ways can teach us about perhaps how we grow spiritually. And the first, uh, so the trees need, um, among other things, water, light, and minerals. So Um, let's start with water. How does a tree get its water? It pulls the water up from the earth into its roots, and the water travels up the trunk, out into the branches, to the stems of the leaves. It enters the leaves, and then a large percentage of it is transpired into the air. It evaporates. And so that's where the water gets, uh, the tree gets its water, from the ground through its roots. And how does it travel? It travels through these little hair-thin uh, strands called xylem. And this is like a magnified picture of a cross-section of a grain of wood, and the larger openings are xylem. But they are thinner than a single strand of hair. 
And that's how the um, water is getting up through the tree, through these tiny little water pipes. Um, now, you wouldn't know by looking at a tree that so much is going on inside it, would you? You wouldn't know that a mature tree is actually taking about 100 gallons of water a day up from the ground through the trunk, releasing much of it into the air. And a giant sequoia like General Sherman can actually lift 500 gallons of water out of the ground in a single day, day after day after day. Now, in a desert land such as Israel, where there's less rain than we're used to here in Vermont, um, trees flourish best along rivers and canals and oases. So you can see why the psalmist is talking here about a, a, a tree that's planted by streams of water. There's a, it's, it's, it's a harsh environment there, but by the river it can survive. This is, by the way, not Israel. This is Texas. Uh, this is a cottonwood on the banks of the Rio Grande in El Paso, but I think it's a very instructive image, isn't it? You see, it's the inner nature of the tree that defines its outward product. And that's a lot like our spiritual lives, isn't it? It's the inner workings of the heart that determine the fruit that we bear. Are we planted by a river? Are our roots drawing water from that river? Does the word, the law, the sweetness of the law course through us? Does the spirit travel the inner conduits of our hearts like the water through the xylem of the tree? Is there growth taking place in our lives under the surface that no one else can see but will one day bear much fruit? So my first suggestion for spiritual growth, and I'm going to offer three suggestions this morning for how we can think about growing spiritually. My first suggestion is this, and it's simple. Hang out at the river. And I'm not talking about the Winooski River. I'm talking about the river of life. Plant yourself on the bank. Drink deeply of its water. Don't go wandering off into the desert. Stay by the river. Do you notice in the psalm, the tree's fruitfulness is a direct result of its proximity to the river. It's not about how hard that tree works to produce fruit. It's about where that tree is. It's by the river. And so our fruitfulness will be a direct result of our proximity to God. So let's talk about light now. Light is the fuel that trees use to turn carbon dioxide and water into sugars, which are the uh, tree's food. There's a technical term for this, photosynthesis. Probably most of us have heard of that. Um, that's what's happening in these leaves. So the leaves have light receptors. Each leaf is like a little solar panel capturing the rays of the sun. Do you know how many leaves grow on a tree? A very large, mature oak in one season will grow 700,000 leaves approximately. To me, that says something about how important light is to the flourishing of that tree. Now, the picture of growth that we see here, again, it's not a picture of hard work. It's not a picture of doing. The tree isn't going out and hunting down the light and taking it back. It's simply receiving. This is a picture not of doing, but of receiving. It simply spreads out its branches so that its leaves can effectively collect the light. And as the tree grows, it will actually optimize its shape to access the light. If a, a young tree is growing up under the canopy of the forest, there's not a lot of light, it will grow bigger leaves so that it can collect more light. Um, there's a, a, there's a, a, a tree in Scotland. Yes, this is it. This is a tree in Scotland, um, an oak tree. Uh, probably many trees just like this, but this happens to be uh, an oak tree in Scotland. Do you notice where the branches are on this tree? Do you notice the imbalance? They're mostly on one side and not the other, which is evidence 
that when this tree was growing up under the canopy, there wasn't a lot of light, but there was more light on one side than the other. And I don't think it's a coincidence that it's the lakeside. Um, maybe there was just more light, uh, uh, less of a canopy there, or maybe it was the reflected or um, light off of the water. Um, but, but a tree will literally grow in the direction of the light. And to me, this speaks volumes about spiritual growth. Do we bask in the light of God's love? Are we growing in the direction of his light? So here's a, a second suggestion for spiritual growth. Bask in the light. What I mean is bask in the light of his love. Ephesians 1.4 says, and I'm quoting the message here, long before he laid down earth's foundations, he had us in mind, had settled on us as the focus of his love. So long before General Sherman was a seedling in the, in, in the sequoia forest of uh, California, God settled on us as the object of his affections. And what does the second part uh, say? Uh, to make, uh, so that we would be made whole and holy by his love. What makes us whole? What makes us holy? It's his love that makes us holy. It's his love that makes us whole. Does that not make, make you want to have more of his love? Um, can we deepen our capacity to receive his love? Can we place ourselves in the center of his love a little bit more and a little bit more each day? We're already there, but can we become more and more aware of it? Can we open ourselves up more to that? You know, the more leaves a tree develops, the more light it can absorb. It's pretty logical, right? The more leaves a tree develops, the more light it can absorb. But similarly, I think it's true that the more we grow in Christ's love, the more we're able to absorb it, the more we're able to receive. So Dallas Willard has another quote I want to share with you. He says that to grow in grace is to utilize more and more grace to live by until everything we do is assisted by grace. Everything we do is assisted by grace. He says the greatest saints aren't those who need less grace. They're the ones who consume the most grace. Can we become experts at consuming his grace? So we've talked about water and we've talked about light. And I, I want to just talk um, lastly about minerals. I'm not a scientist, but this is what gets me really excited. In order for a tree to grow and bear fruit, it needs nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium, among other things. But there's a problem. Where are those minerals? Well, yes, they're in the soil, but they're mostly stored up in little rock particles in the soil. And that's inaccessible to the tree root. The tree root can't get the minerals inside the rock. So here's where a surprising helper enters the scene. It's a fungus. It's called mycorrhizal fungi. It simply means root fungus. And the fungus here is the little thin strands, and the root is the, the larger brown um, mass there. So these little fungal strands, they grow and knit themselves around the root. They wrap themselves. They actually, many of the roots are completely sheathed in it. And then they send their tiny little white threads into the soil, and they find those little rock particles. And then with their digestive acids, they bore into the rock particles, and they literally mine the minerals out of them. And then they transfer those minerals to the tree. Um, I have a picture of a tiny rock particle. This, is, this triangle here of white is a, a, a little tiny, probably microscopic piece of feldspar. And you can see where the fungi have tunneled into the feldspar to mine the root. 
That's uh, the sort of scar on the tunnels left from the fungi. Isn't that amazing? Um, so this is no small production, this um, mycorrhizal fungus uh, operation here. Um, because the length of that fungus, if you sort of spread it out, would be um, hundreds, if not thousands of times the length of the root. Even though we don't see it, there's this huge presence of a fungus under the ground that's helping these trees to flourish. And which is to say there's more fungus here than root. The, the fungus is no minor add-on. And the benefits of the fungus for the tree are really considerable. Now, a tree can survive without this fungus. There are trees that are, are living without this fungus, um, especially like if the soil gets um, contaminated um, or just compromised, that fungus might not be able to survive in it. Um, but a tree that has this fungus is much more healthy, vigorous, and able to withstand stress. A tree that has this fungus can actually hold more water. So in a drought, it's more likely to survive. And the fungus boosts the tree's immune system. So if it's attacked by a pathogen, it's better able to defend itself. And if the soil is polluted with heavy metals, the, um, the fungus is able to uh, absorb and metabolize many of them, protecting the tree. And the fungus actually, as it's taking the nutrient out of um, the rock particles and transferring it to the tree, is giving to the tree, is releasing to the tree what the tree needs at the time and storing the rest for later. It releases what the tree needs at a given time. Now, this is a little bit of a leap here, but I don't know about you. But for me, when it comes to reading the Word of God, and especially when it comes not just to reading it, but receiving it, I need help. I can open up the book uh, I can open up the Bible. I can get through a few chapters every morning. I can follow a routine faithfully. But sometimes that word feels like a rock I can't penetrate. I need a helper. I need the Holy Spirit to open its riches for me, to bore down into the word and draw up the spiritual nourishment that I need maybe for a given day or a given situation or a particular season in my life. Do you need his help too? I want to share a story with you. Um, a few weeks ago, uh, I found myself just kind of in a moment of discouragement. Um, it was almost like borderline despair. Thankfully, it didn't last too long. Um, but, you know, you never know how long that's going to last when you're in it. Um, some circumstances had just kind of hit me like this little perfect storm. And I just felt knocked out. You know when you, you get knocked out, how it's like you lose your breath? It's like, where did my faith go? Um, I wasn't sure where God was, but intellectually, I knew he hadn't abandoned me. You know, my faith was there in that sense. I knew he was there, but he felt really distant, more distant than he had felt in a long time in my life. And when I went to pray, I just didn't have the words. And I knew that just doing my normal devotional routine was like just going to be empty. Like I needed God to break through to me. I needed to feel the firm grip of his love on me again. I needed to know that no matter what, I was still at the very center of his affections. But I didn't know what to do. Well, I had this image of myself sitting down with my Bible, opening up to a psalm and reading it aloud to myself very slowly exactly four times. I'm not sure where that came from. I didn't feel like, oh, that's from God. I should do that. It was just like, well, where did that come from? Well, I guess I don't have anything to lose. Um, so I sat down with my Bible on, on my porch. It was a beautiful morning. I opened up to a psalm that I had been reading every day for the past maybe two weeks. 
It was not a new psalm. It was not new scripture. I didn't need to go searching the Bible for some new information because what I didn't need was new information. What I needed was for God to take the information I already knew and get it back in my heart and get it deeper in my heart. I knew I needed to hear God speak it to me fresh. So I sat kind of out of obedience and, like I said, not having a more brilliant idea. I sat um, on the wicker chair in my porch and just took a moment of silence, and then I began to read the psalm slowly, quietly, aloud. And when I finished, I just paused and I looked out at the wet grass and the sun. It was beautiful. But, you know, nothing magic happened. And so I read the psalm a second time. And then as I was reading the psalm the third time, I found that I was reading the words more slowly than before. Actually, it was like I couldn't read the verses slowly enough because I was beginning to savor them. There was life in them. And I was beginning to taste that life. And I also noticed that as I was reading aloud, um, I was reading the words more and more quietly for some reason. It was like they were so shining with truth that I could hardly utter them because they weren't just words that were about a truth. They were suddenly words that were for me and they were true. And as I was realizing they were true, they were almost too holy to speak. Um, Have you ever had a moment where it was like too holy for words? Like if you said even the most eloquent thing in the world, you were just going to ruin it. That's kind of like the way it felt. So when I finished reading the psalm for the fourth time, I put it down and I was in a very different place than when I had started. God was very present to me. The Holy Spirit, as it were, had really drilled into that psalm and released its nourishment to my heart according to what my heart needed. And I I didn't even like pray after that. I just sat there in God's presence and just honored him with my presence gratefully. And I knew that I had been healed from that discouragement. Psalm 1 presents us a picture of meditation. And I want to say just a few words about meditation. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the German pastor and theologian who died at the hands of the Nazis during World War II, he was asked once why he meditated. And his answer was, because I'm a Christian. In scripture, we see people meditating. We see people meditating on the word, on creation. Many of the Psalms are meditations on creation. Uh, Meditating on God's hand Uh, on their lives, his faithfulness in their lives. Um, Richard Foster, who wrote a a book on the spiritual disciplines, tells us that Christian meditation is ultimately, here's what it's ultimately about, listening to God. And I would add, it's a pretty intimate listening. And here's what makes it so intimate. Many of us have known all our lives that God loves us. And we've come across this truth in Scripture And we sense that it's true because God has given us what we have needed. And in many cases, he has answered specific prayers in our lives. So, of course, God loves us, right? But meditation is hearing God speak that truth directly to our hearts and receiving it in the inner sanctuary of our being. It's letting it in. And you know what happens when the truth gets inside you? It changes you. You can't help but be changed when the truth gets inside you. A tree that's planted by streams of water, it can't help but bear fruit. 
So how can we do this if we want to engage the practice of meditation? How might we approach that? Well, there's different ways to do it. Um, you could do what I did in the story I just shared, or you could, you know, which is pretty much, I think, similar to what the person in Psalm 1 is doing, taking a verse or a passage and just giving it some space and speaking it aloud to our souls and letting God inhabit it. We can memorizing, memorize it, you know, that, that work of memorizing a scripture and just spending time with a scripture to memorize it as a kind of meditation. We could sing it. In fact, every time we worship um, and we sing a chorus and we're repeating a, 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 a line, it's kind of like meditating on it. Um, Jeff uh, mentioned this as he was leading worship a few weeks ago. It's like we're meditating when we sing uh, a truth. You know, we can also meditate on something visually. We can paint it or make a collage around a scripture. We could pray it. We could go for a walk with a scripture or take it to the woods, take it to the beach. There's no right way uh, to engage Christian meditation. It's not really a technique per se, but I would say maybe think of it, of it like a tree. Like a tree absorbs the light and the mineral and the water in order to grow. So through meditation, we absorb God's love and the truth of his word. So what can we do as we leave this morning? What can we do to grow in our faith? We can hang out by the river. Don't wander off into the desert. Don't spend your time hanging out with the restless who refuse to find their rest in God. Our rest is at the river. Instead, be planted on those lush river banks. Drink deeply. Let the waters of the Holy Spirit and the Word course through you. Secondly, bask in the sun. Bask in the light of his love. Bask in the light of his grace and truth revealed to us in his Word. Learn to consume a little more of his grace every day. There's no scarcity of it. There's no shortage of it. The only limit of God's love is what we limit in terms of how much we will receive. And thirdly, depend on the helper. Depend on the Holy Spirit. You can't actually depend on the Holy Spirit too much. If you wait on him, he will surely open the scriptures because it's his job. It's his job to testify of Christ who is the word the Bible tells us. Let him draw up the nourishment from scripture that your soul needs. Like that fungi boring into the rock and pulling out the phosphorus and the nitrogen and all those rich minerals that the tree turns into fruit. Let the Holy Spirit whisper the truth of God's love for you in every verse that you read. I'm going to invite up the band. Uh, as we close, I want to pray for us. Um, and then after I pray for us, I want to invite us to read Psalm 1, the first three verses together aloud. Not because it's new information. We've already spent 20 or so minutes talking about this. I've read it. But to declare its truth to our souls and to give the Holy Spirit another chance to work its truth a little bit deeper into our hearts. And as we're singing the last song, I have a little um, gift for you. I've asked the Lehman boys to um, pass out, starting from the back, uh, a little uh, paper with a stamp of a leaf on it for you to take home and just to stick in your pocket or maybe stick on the fridge or the bathroom mirror. And I hope that when you see it, it will just be a reminder of God's invitation to you to bask in the light of his love uh, and to flourish in his grace. So let me pray. Will you stand? Lord, we're so thankful that you've revealed something to us of who you are in your word and in your creation. Teach us, like the person in Psalm 1, to delight in your word. May we know its sweetness. Teach us to tarry unhurried with you 
as we meditate on your truth, whether on the word or on nature, your creation, or on your faithfulness in our lives as we look back. Lord, help us to be like a tree, to hang out by the river of life. Help us to drink deeply of your life. Let it course through our veins and the conduits of our hearts. Help us to bask in the light of your love. Help us to hear your Holy Spirit whisper your love for us through your word that every verse we read, we're hearing the Holy Spirit whisper, I am for you. I pray, Father, for more of the Holy Spirit's help in each of our lives, in all of our lives, and in particular when we go to your word. Would you release the helper now upon us and as we open up your word? And as we hang out by the river, as we bask in the light of your love, and as we depend on the helper, would you grow our roots deep and strong? Would you ground us? Would you make us fruitful that we may nourish others and be a shelter to many who seek refuge in you? Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Church at the Well is a community reintroducing Jesus in Vermont through worship, service, creativity, and community.